It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. We all know that. Flower power in the 1960s. But what was it really like? In Ireland, the 60s started somewhere around 1965 or 66 and ended abruptly in 1973. For those of us who are survivors of that time, the main problem we're faced with is trying to decide whether the 60s was a wonderfully exciting renaissance of creativity or whether it was just that we were all young. To San Francisco. Will be day. In nineteen sixty five, I walked through the front gate of Trinity College as a nineteen year old freshman wearing a sports jacket and grey flannel trousers with turn ups, a short back and sides, and a bald chin. The 23-year-old who walked out through that gate in 1969 with a second-class honours degree was a very different person. He had shoulder-length hair and a beard and wore a long black cloak with a gold lining over knee-length black leather boots. His most important baggage was a collection of ideas, values and tastes that were to last into the 90s. He was almost completely a 60s product. This is the story of that transformation, the story of the music that accompanied it, the story of the 60s. Well, I'm a king bay, buzzing around your hive. Well, I'm a king bay, baby, buzzing around your hive. Yeah, I can make Honey, baby, let me come inside. Well, I'm a king, babe. Want you to be my queen. Well, I'm a king, babe, baby. Want you to be my queen. Together we can make honey. World has never seen. Well, but so why? Sting it then, 
more than music happened in those four years from 65 to 69, but music was always there. Background music, foreground music. Music is the main form of articulation of a generation that was changing things and was quite aware of the fact that it was changing things. Music was there when Daniel Cohn-Bondy manned the barricades in Paris, when Bernadette Devlin led civil rights marches, when we stood outside the American embassy getting our pictures taken by CIA agents as we chanted, Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids you killed today? Music was there on the summer night when the first man walked on the moon. There was music when we drank our pints, smoked our joints, debated Marxist theory, made love on mattresses on the floor, when we woke up and when we went to sleep. We even meditated to music. In the beginning, the music came from America, from black blues guitarists in the southern states. There was Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee and Blind Lemon Jefferson. Without them, there could have been no Elvis Presley, no Beatles, no Rolling Stones. We acknowledged our debt to them. We played their albums, which I think we called LPs, and we were purists. We liked the real thing. And the realest thing of them all was, and is, John Lee Hooker. Is a little down dog, a dirty ground hogging, been rooting round my back door. In the back church and rooting our men, Lord, it won't root down no more. me every morning when I leave home. Yes, he's standing and he watch me every morning when I leave home. Then when I leave home in the morning, yes, he hangs around all day long. Give me some toad frog tip, I'm gonna, gonna put it all together, I'm gonna, gonna mix it up together, I'm gonna, gonna whip it all up good, I'm gonna, gonna kill it old dirty clown home. I bet you my bottom dollar then man he won't rule down no more. John Lee Hooker was not a 60s musician. He was there before and he is there afterwards. 
but he is an essential part of the garden in which the flower power germinated and blossomed. At the time, the Beatles were not central to our music culture. To most of us, they were pop, not rock, though I'm not sure that we used those words to make the distinction at the time. The Stones were different. They were, and are, at the heart of rock, and reflected its blues beginnings. We even forgave them for being English at a time when we knew the cultural centre of the world was in Northern California. And me, what was I doing at the time? Some of the details are a little blurred by time and mind-altering substances. Most of all, I remember a sense of excitement and something close to a feeling of power. We were aware of the fact that we were the counterculture and that it was changing things. I'm still convinced of this today, despite all the evidence to the contrary, but today the emphasis has changed a little. Back then, when we said counterculture, the emphasis was on counter, on the revolutionary, seditious aspect of it. In hindsight, the culture part of it is more significant. Despite all the anarchy and incoherence, the 60s did spawn something that has to be recognised as a culture. The struggle to change things took place on many different battlefields. The music, Mary Quant and the miniskirt, the politics, Stuart Brand and his whole earth catalogue, experiments in free love and communal living, Susan Sontag and Andy Warhol. They integrated into a world so complete that you could live in it without reference to any other world. We weren't clones of each other, but we were united when we acknowledged that we were all doing the same thing. The thing that some Californian christened with the awful Californian phrase, subverting the dominant paradigm. associate drugs with the 60s, and that association is normally disapproving. It's true that drugs were much more acceptable then. Many of them were not even illegal at the beginning of the 60s, partly because the law had not yet heard about them. And some very respectable people were doing them. Aldous Huxley wrote up his experiments with mescaline, and Dr. Timothy Leary enthused about LSD. 
Clinical psychologists used hallucinogens to try and cure disorders in their patients. Very few working class people took drugs. It was mainly musicians, artists and academics. Certainly drug consumption in Ireland in the 60s was only a fraction of what it is in the 90s. But the people we really looked down on were heavy drinkers. We called them juice heads. San Francisco with waist-length hair and fell in love with her. She was a hippie. I was a proto-hippie. My hair was getting longer, my clothes were getting weirder, and people were starting to point at me on Grafton Street and whisper to each other. Then, in the early summer of 1967, I got on a plane for my first visit to the United States. I fell asleep during the long flight, was driven to an apartment and fell asleep again. When I woke up and stepped out into the bright morning sunshine, I was on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley, California. It was the start of the summer of love, and Telegraph Avenue was the main drag of the whole world. Nobody pointed or whispered. They smiled a lot and called me man, and offered me odd things to eat and drink and smoke. For the first time in a long time, I felt at home. Bye. 
on his prison bait and the sheriff's on my trail. And if he catches up with me, I'll spend my life in jail. Got a wife in Chino, baby, the one in Cherokee. In 1964, Ken Kesey and a busload of oddballs had made an acid-drenched voyage across the United States, and Tom Wolfe had written a book about it called The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. About the same time, the Grateful Dead, who were then called the Warlocks, were developing a new music ready for the summer of love. A promoter of genius called Bill Graham had dropped out to produce theatre with the politically radical San Francisco mime troupe. Other revolutionaries, like the Diggers, who were an anarchist group, maintained that money was dead, along with other more obvious things like church and state. They proved their point by providing meals, which were free because they were yours, man, at their famous Digger feeds. A strange guy called Stuart Brand, who was into, of all things, computers, was contemplating buying his first houseboat in Sausalito. By 1966, word had gone out and the Bay Area was attracting hundreds of new pilgrims every day. The focus was moving from the Haight and Ashbury area of downtown San Francisco and the old beat cafes to the university town of Berkeley across the Bay Bridge. The scene was set for the summer of love. All it needed was for me to stumble jet-lagged off a plane in early June.
I spent the summer of 67 in Berkeley in an incoherent round of talk and music, bright colours, love and, yes, flowers. I met GIs on furlough from Vietnam and tried to persuade them to make love, not war. I talked to black people about black power and acid heads about acid power and vegetarians about veggie power. And then I had to head back for the autumn university term in a grey city called Dublin. I have a videotape of Woodstock. I never got to Woodstock, but even today I take that tape out from time to time and watch it carefully, freeze-framing now and again, to check if just maybe I am there somewhere in the audience and it's just that I've forgotten about it. Give me an F! Give me a U! Give me a C! Give me a K! What's that spell? 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 Well, come on, all of you big, strong men. Uncle Sam needs your help again. Got himself in a terrible jam. Way down yonder in Vietnam. Put down your books and pick up a gun. We're gonna have a whole lot of fun. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, there ain't no time to wonder why. Woo we're all gonna die. Now come on, Wall Street, don't be slow. I man was swore a go-go. There's plenty good money to be made. Supply in the army with the tools of the trade. Just don't be crazy if they drop the bomb. They drop it on a Viet Cong. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, I ain't no time to wonder why. We're all gonna die. Now come on, generals, let's move fast. Your big chance is here at last. Now you can go out and get those reds, cause the only good commie is one that's dead. You know that peace can only be one when they blow them all the kingdom come. Sing it! One, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. Louder! Vietnam. Some people, I don't know how you expect to 
ever stop the war if you can't sing any better than that? There's about 300,000 of you fuckers out there. I want you to start singing. Come on. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, I ain't no time to wonder why. We're all gonna die. Now come on, mothers throughout the land. Pack your boys off to Vietnam. Come on, fathers, don't hesitate. But send your sons off before it's too late. Be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in a box. All right. One, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up the pearly gates. Well, ain't no time to wonder why. We'll be all gonna die. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Country Joe McDonald. Volume, please. The summer of love failed to last. Flower power carried within it the seeds of its own destruction. Some experts say that it all came to an end in the Bay Area on the day in 1969 at a Rolling Stones concert at the Altamont Speedway, when the security guards, who were, as tradition demanded, Hell's Angels, murdered a member of the audience. A dream of innocence and trust died with him. Certainly, things were different when I returned. People were dying of drug overdoses, and attitudes were changing to mind chemicals. Black people would not discuss black power with their white brother anymore. They called me honky and walked away. The best and the brightest of the pilgrims who had drifted in in 66 were drifting out by 69. They were setting up communes in New Mexico, draft dodging in Vancouver, or growing organic marijuana in Oregon. The centre could not hold. Of course, hippies lived on. A lot of us will probably, here's a strange thought, live to see another new age when the millennium comes around. And the counterculture, or at least some aspects of it, seemed to somehow relish its own demise. It was so iconoclastic that it even mocked its own heroes and heroines. The late Frank Zappa and his Mothers of Invention, a band of quite indescribable genius, were busy tearing up the icons even before the paint had dried on them. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. 
psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. Gotcha. First I'll buy some beads, and then perhaps a leather band to go around my head, some feathers and bells, and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. I will love everyone. I will love the police as they kick the shit out of me on the street. I will sleep. I will go to a house. That's, that's what I will do. I will go to a house where there's a rock and roll band because the groups all live together. And I will join a rock and roll band. I will be their road manager. And I will stay there with them and I will get the crabs. But I won't care. Because... The thread of iconoclasm and satire which Frank Zappa epitomized ran through the 60s culture on this side of the Atlantic as well. It came out of some sort of a search for balance in a rapidly changing world. Hedonism was balanced by idealism, pomposity punctured by humour. Objectivity had to be inoculated into the madness. The English analogue for the Mothers of Invention was the Bonzo Dog Band. This band was originally called the Bonzo Dog Dada Band, then the Bonzo Dog Duda Band, then the Bonzo Dog Band. The progression is significant. They were a bunch of English art students impressed by Dadaism. They embraced Dada's anarchic humour, applied it to what was going on around them, and produced an extraordinary album called The Donut in Granny's Greenhouse, which defiled the holiest places of 60s culture with the track can blue men sing the whites?
time I got a major scene. I change out my dark gray mohair suit, pull on my dirty jeans. The man comes round to pick me up. I holler, hang on, boys. I gotta mess my hair up. Gotta make some noise. Blue. Blue men sing the words. Oh, how the heavy cries are singing. One, two. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to do a little number now. This is very lucky for us during the depression when everybody was very depressed. Straight or satirical, rock music was the main line of artistic expression in the 60s. But there was other music too. Joan Byers sang one night in the Trinity Folk Club, and Joe Heaney was a regular. I'd never heard Shan Nose before, and I sat on the floor, drinking a bottle of white wine by the neck, and developed an addiction for the elegant power of the singing which has never left me. At lunchtime we ate sandwiches of cold beef and brown sauce in a Donahue's pub in Marion Row, and listened to the original Dubliners, live and for free. I was there on the fringes of the folk music revival. I got to some gigs, others I missed. I'm sorry I missed the weekend session in the basement of Downing's House in Prosperous, where an album was cut, which is also called Prosperous, because this was, arguably, the most important single session of the whole folk music revival in Ireland. It launched the career of an obscure ballad singer called Christy Moore, and saw the formation of a group called Planksty. Nowadays, I live close to Downing's house, and its owner, Andrew Rim, the man who made that historic session happen, is a friend of mine. The basement is exactly as it was on that weekend in 1972 when the Prosperous album was cut. I have fantasies about getting them all back together and producing another album in the same place. I think I'd call it middle-aged and prosperous. So play the drum slowly, play the fife slowly. Sound the death march as you carry him along. And over his coffin throw a bunch of white laurel. For he's a young soldier cut down in his pride. Oh, mother, dear mother, come sit ye down by me. Sit ye down by me and pity my sad plight. For me body is injured and sadly disordered. I'll buy a young girl me own heart's delight. So play the drum slowly and play the fife slowly. Sound the dead march as you carry him along. And over his coffin throw a bunch of white laurel. For he's a young soldier cut down in his prime. It seems to me that there were these two threads of folk music and rock music twining their way through the fabric of the 60s, and that musicians were always trying to integrate them, to bridge the gap. 
They nearly always failed. But there was one man who didn't even try, and he succeeded brilliantly right from the beginning. With your mercury mouth In the missionary times And your eyes like smoke And your prayers like rhymes And your silver cross And your voice like chimes Oh, who do they think could I don't really like to be predictable, and I did toy with the idea of trying to tell the story of the 60s and its music without mentioning Bob Dylan. Unfortunately, it can't be done. He is the zeitgeist, and he will always be there to haunt us. Most cultural movements end in a period of florid decadence. They attempt to fend off the inevitable by going a little over the top. The megawatt English band Pink Floyd arrived rather neatly to fulfill this prophecy with long, loud, baroque rock. is in many ways an uncomfortable thing to do. It's a bit like going back and trying to sleep on the bed in which decades ago you once lost your virginity. But it's also a compulsion, like picking a scab. I'm compelled by curiosity. So many of the ideas which are important to me today were born in those brief, bright years. Yes, bright. Looking back with perspective, it seems to me that the 60s were a narrow beam of light which illuminated the century between the greyness of post-war austerity and the greyness of post-oil crisis recession. And yes, I have to say it, the greyness of today. Don't get me back to good, good bullshit. 